Football is back, and right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day, and with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Welcome to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast. It's brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell. Each week, Michael Cox of The Athletic and I pick a different topic, sometimes a player, sometimes a manager, sometimes a team, sometimes, and in the case of today, Michael, it's a bit of all three, and we're off to Italy. Yeah, we're going to be looking at Juventus and how they've been reformatted by Maurizio Sarri, someone who has a very different idea of football compared to what you associate uh, with Juventus historically. And I think after that point against Atalanta last week, where they were a little bit fortunate to get a draw, they probably wrapped up Syria. So a good opportunity to speak about Juventus. Well, are they or aren't they? That's what we're going to find out today. We're going to find out all about Maurizio Sarri's first season in charge, the tactical side of the game, the key players. Uh, At the time of recording, Juventus are six points clear of Atalanta with a game in hand, a game that will be played later today against Sassuolo. To talk us through it today, of course, James Horncastle joins us, who covers Italian football for The Athletic. James, thank you so much for being on the pod this week. Pleasure. Now, Juve play Sassuolo not long after we record today. We don't know the outcome of that game, but I do know a lot more about Sassuolo manager Roberto De Zerbi because you have written about him this week. An interesting tactician, just like our topic today, Maurizio Sarri. You've also written a piece recently about Alexis Sanchez and his situation with Inter Milan and Manchester United. Michael's been writing about Wolves duo uh, Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez and their partnership. All of that is on The Athletic. And if you're not a subscriber, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking will get you a 30 day free trial. So if any of those pieces tickle your fancy, give them a go today. So much other good football writing, US sports as well covered on The Athletic. So get that 30-day free trial if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. Let's get stuck in. James, the obvious question with this six-point gap and a game in hand, but Atalanta scoring tons of goals. Is Serie A done and dusted? Are Juve marching to the title? (laughs) Maybe not marching, Ali, um, because they've somehow managed to extend their lead at the top without being particularly convincing. I think they've been helped by... Inter and Lazio uh, making poor starts to the restart, um, if you want to put it like that. I think had Atalanta won in Turin at the weekend, uh, then we would be uh, declaring this title race still open. Um, At the moment, Juventus still have that game in hand that you mentioned, and they also have the the edge on head-to-head against Atalanta because 
they took four points from six against them. So, you know, for them to throw it away now, we'd be looking at a collapse that we haven't seen in Italy since Inter in 2002. And so they do things on head-to-head rather than goal difference, which means Atalanta's frankly obscene goal-scoring exploits with 93 goals scored in 33 games, uh, a goal difference of plus 50, uh, which is 15 goals better off than Juventus. That will not matter should they finish level on points. Let's talk about Maurizio Sarri. And Michael, I'm interested to know He joined Juventus from Chelsea. Juve have won eight straight league titles. This season would be number nine. What was his challenge at Juventus? What was he tasked with when appointed Juve manager? Well, overhauling the style of play, really. I mean, Juventus of all European uh, giants, I'd say, would be the club who traditionally been least concerned with playing good football. They've always been about winning and winning alone. And of course, they've been very much accustomed to winning the league recently throughout the last decade nearly have just consistently finished on top of Syria. They didn't always necessarily play with great style, but I think that they on a wider level have moved towards trying to be they want to be seen as, you know, a side that can be compared to a Barcelona or a Real Madrid in terms of their image, in terms of their style. And Sarri, more based upon what he did with Napoli rather than what he did with Chelsea, was seen as the ideal man to take them forward. So yeah, it was I think a really fascinating managerial appointment. And um, I remember one of my first pieces for The Athletic before we had James Horncastle writing for us about (laughs) Italian football was, um, you know, almost looking at what the options were for Sarri at Juventus and and looking at whether he would win the league and whether he would change the style of football. And my hope, and not because I'm biased against Juventus, but my hope was that Juventus wouldn't win the league, but Sarri would be kept on because the style of play had been so successful. I just think that would have been the most interesting thing for kind of neutral observers, that there was a new type of Juventus. Um, I'm not sure that's necessarily panned out, but yeah, James is obviously better place to speak more about that. Yeah, how, how convincing has Sarri been in terms of changing the style, James? Because part one, winning the title looks like it will be achieved. What about the style of play? How do you think he's done in in that sense? Well, I think Michael's right in that this is one of the most ambitious appointments uh, we have seen in Italy and certainly at Juventus for a long, long time because Juventus's motto is uh, winning isn't important, it's the only thing that matters. Um, And I think when you appoint someone like Sarri, it's clear that how you win suddenly matters. Um, that what they were doing under Allegri and even Conte before that, it was just simply about getting the job done and getting titles in the trophy cabinet. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're judging Sarri on performances and style of play. And we've seen flashes uh, of what this team promises to be like under him uh, throughout the last, well, it's a year now, really, since he was he was appointed. Yeah, they played very well in both games against Inter. Uh, they played well for 20 minutes away at the Wanda against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, where, to be honest, in the group stages, they kind of reserved their best performances. Um, and that gave the impression, and Sarri certainly played up to this, that the team was more motivated in Europe than it was in Serie A, that it was kind of fed up with winning league titles and they really got up for games when the Champions League music was playing. But I have to say, overall, it feels like uh, this hasn't completely meshed yet that um, the the process of overhauling the style of play still needs time. I think Sarri has has inherited a squad 
that isn't entirely um, adapted to his style of play. I think the midfield in particular uh, with uh, Pjanic, who yeah, he was making a project of. You know, He was saying that Pjanic is going to be this midfield player who has 150 touches a game. Um, he's going to run things for, for us. He's going to play a lot more vertical than he did under um, Max Allegri, who was principally asking him to play out to the wide players. Um, and uh, Juventus on the whole haven't really been able to play with the speed and the tempo that I think his his passing and combination play um, demands. And I think one of the fascinating things about Sarri is how is a collective manager going to successfully persuade a team um, that has relied on individuals for so long? Uh, moments of individual brilliance from Cristiano uh, from Dybala to win games rather than a style of play that makes the team greater than the sum of its parts. And and so far, I think we've only seen flashes of it. And uh, I think we still have to be patient in the club. I think that's why they gave him a three-year deal. They, they recognise that it's going to take longer than a season for him to implement his ideas and get them across. And, you know, Giorgio Chiellini, the captain, has has kind of said that the important thing is to make mistakes, but make mistakes while winning. Um, and I think as long as he's winning, he'll be okay. And he's just about doing that at the moment. So far, so good then. Uh, and Michael, I think tactics have always been quite a big part of any discussion about Sarri, certainly in his foray over in English football with Chelsea. Could you give me an overview of what you believe Sarri's system to be? Yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, he's, he's tried to play the way that we associate with Sarri at Napoli and then at Chelsea. I'd say the big difference between his experience of those two clubs has been the tempo of the passing. At Napoli, it was very, very quick, almost mes, you know mesmeric in deep positions, the way that they would pass through the opposition press. Chelsea, I don't think he ever really achieved that level. At Juventus, I think it's... Is kind of flitted between the two. I think that the Champions League defeat to Lyon would be a good example of where the first half was incredibly sluggish, their, their passing tempo, and the second half, they picked it up a lot. They still lost 1-0, but there was some promise in that second half. In terms of the systems, I mean, he started with the 4-3-3. We associate with him using it at Napoli and for most of the time at Chelsea. Middle of the season, he, he moved to 4-3-1-2, which I was surprised by. I didn't think it necessarily suited the way that he wanted to play. The big question mark when you use that system is who's going to be in the number 10 role don't think he ever really nailed that down he, he tried Dybala there he played Bernadeschi there sometimes it was Aaron Ramsey who was maybe seen as a bit too forward thinking for a deeper role that meant Dybala was sometimes as a, a second striker so with him and Ronaldo you didn't have a, a classic number nine although Ronaldo I suppose is increasing and becoming that and then after the 2-1 loss to Napoli he went back to the 4-3-3 that suited Douglas Costa, who came into the side, was playing wide right, a proper winger, probably the you know, the, the obvious, the only proper winger they have really at Juventus. Although since the restart, he's mainly been a sub, a super sub. He's, he's actually had quite a good impact sometimes coming on from the bench. Personally, I prefer Juventus in the 4-3-3. The only caveat to that is the 4-3-1-2 probably suits the fullbacks better because they've got more protection in the centre of the pitch and they've got more space ahead of them to overlap. Alexandra on the left and particularly Juan Cuadrado on the right. Obviously very attack-minded fullbacks and I think when they have space to push into, um, they probably prefer that system. 
But I think Sarri and Sarri's teams are usually more comfortable in the 4-3-3. The FB Ref website told me yesterday that uh, Juan Cuadrado has had the most touches in the whole of Serie A this season, which is, uh, <laughs> which is surprising. When he played in English football, he had very few touches, I think it's fair to say, and, and clearly thriving uh, in this role under Sarri. J- James, not to keep going back to his time in England, it's not really what we're focusing on today, but I am interested to know whether Sarri's reputation in Italy was affected by what happened over at Chelsea. And also, given that he's quite a dogmatic character, he's very principled when it comes to his style of football, his beliefs, whether you think those were, were affected at all or wavered by his, his year in London. I do think Sarri's reputation has diminished a little bit in the last two years. Um, after leaving Napoli, the circumstances in which he left Napoli... You know, what happened at Chelsea, um, where on paper you could make the case that it's a successful season because they reached two finals, they win one, they get back into the Champions League. But, uh, you know, let's not forget, you know, through the autumn and winter, Sarri calling out some of his players. Uh, Gianfranco Zola recently came out, I think this is true at Juve as well, that the players find the training sessions to be uh, repetitive and in some cases boring. Um, And I think unless they see the results, and by results I mean the kind of performances that it's working for them, getting that buy-in is is sometimes difficult. I do think Sarri has also suffered from the kind of social media, YouTube hyping of his um, style of football and what we should expect from it. Um, you know, he never kind of presented um, his football uh, with the term Sarri ball. That was just a complete social media construct. But those two um, minute compilations of that Napoli side <laughs> break, breaking the press, that will be uh, affecting the, the minds of, of social media users. I remember those videos well. Precisely. And I think, uh, you know, I think after a couple of months, Chelsea fans and, and journalists who are, are following Chelsea were thinking, when, when it, or if is this, is this ever going to come? Are we ever going to see Chelsea play that style of football? I, I think yeah, Napoli, in some respects, are the exception in Marek Sarri's career. Uh, you know, even, even at Empoli, okay, he didn't have anywhere near the talent that he would have at Napoli or at Chelsea or at Juventus. But they were a team that played really nice football to watch uh, up until the final third. And then they would sometimes struggle to, to uh, break teams down. And... That wasn't obviously a problem at, at Napoli, uh, where everything clicked and the, 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 there seemed to be just this perfect, um, everyone was on the same wavelength, the players and the coach. Whereas at Chelsea, uh, it ended up, in my opinion, being um, a marriage of convenience where you have Sarri saying, okay, yeah, if I don't have the personnel here, we have to look at our best player, Edin Hazard, and we have to get absolutely everything out of Edin Hazard. Um, to get the results that we want. And Hazard went on to have his statistically the best season he's ever had in England. Um, and I think at, at Juventus, it's, the, it's it's been more or less the same in that um, Cristiano, is, it, it looks like he's going to become Capo Cannonieri and over, overtake Chiro Immobile. I think since the beginning of November, he has failed to score in only one league game. Which is which is frankly ridiculous, even though so many of those goals have kind of been penalties or yeah, as we saw against Torino, a free kick. Wow. <laughs> um, so I, I think his his standing has diminished a little bit, partly because he's been more exposed as well in the media. You know, I think it's 
Yeah, Napoli are a big club, but they don't do as much media as a Chelsea manager. Um, you're a manager in the Premier League or, or Juventus manager. And I think, you know, some of the things he said, some of the uh, ways he's justified uh, performances and results, you know, for example, he's been downplaying Juventus in the Champions League, saying, you know, oh, Serie A, it's lost so much ground on the Premier League. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, it's the, gone are the days in the 90s where we used to dominate. And that is true. But you know, to say that Juventus are one of 10 or 12 teams that can maybe aspire to win the Champions League when they've signed Cristiano Ronaldo, they've signed Matthias De Ligt. Uh, there, is, there does seem to be some disconnect there between, you know, when the vice president, Pavel Nedved, and the director of sport, um, Fabio Paratici, goes up in front of the, the, the microphones before Champions League game and says, mm, no, yeah, we want to win the Champions League and we, we kind of hope to win the Champions League. So I think all of those things have played to kind of lead to more scepticism about Sarri um, than, uh, than there was at, at his height in Naples. Harry's sponsors Zonal Marking, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, check. Five precision-engineered blades, check. A rich, lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover as well. As a listener of Zonal Marking, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash zonal right now. That's harrys.com forward slash zonal. They've got the best defensive record in the division, marginally. That's something that Juve have been associated with for a long time. A fantastic defensive unit. Uh, not necessarily something that's always been attached to Maurizio Sarri in his career. Uh, has he kept that strong defence intact, James? Well, I think it was a big blow to lose Giorgio Chiellini after the first game of the season. Um, De Ligt has grown into the role and uh, he's switched sides as well. I think he was he was playing on the left of Bonucci to begin with, and now he's playing on the right, and he looks so much more comfortable. I think one of the the other fascinating aspects of this story um, uh, over the last season at Juventus is that Maurizio Sarri was essentially going to go into the dressing room at Juventus and say to the two most experienced players, uh, regular players, Giorgio Chiellini, the captain, and Bonucci, um, everything you've been doing for the last thirty years, um, and you're very good at it. Um, you're going to have to rethink it because Juventus aren't going to defend like they did under Allegri. They're not going to defend like they did under Conte. You know, we're going to play a zonal marking system um, and you've been used to playing man-to-man. -man. Uh, your reference point is going to be the ball, not an opponent. And you're going to play a nosebleed high line, um, <laughs> which again is something that you're not used to. And 
Yeah, I think uh, Juventus, along with Atletico, are a team that over the last decade we've really associated being comfortable defending in their own penalty area. They relish it. You know, put as many balls in the box as you can. We don't care. We're gonna we're gonna stop everything that comes our way. And they've had to adjust to that. And I think it's been it's been quite a difficult adjustment. I think it's helped that he's had buy-in from Benucci. Um, Delict is obviously new and willing to learn, and he's young as well. How would you he, say he's done in in his first season in a Juve shirt? I think it was challenging to begin with, and Sari said that were it not for Chiellini's injury, um, he would have been cautious uh, about throwing him in at the the deep end and, and and using him as early as he did. Certainly, the new interpretation of the handball rule hasn't helped Matthias Delict. <laughs> he's given away maybe four penalties um, no over the course of the season. <laughs> But the the last, I mean, just before lockdown and certainly since the restart, he's been outstanding. Uh, you can see why um, they paid what they did. I mean, I think it was obvious to anyone who watched Ajax last year in the Champions League that he was a very special talent, um, and he's only confirmed that in in the last in the last few weeks. He's been he's been excellent. But I think the the, the wider point to make about Juventus's defence is that. Uh, now, when they're asked to defend in their own penalty area, because uh, they've got these new reference points, because it's zonal, it's not man man to man. You can see there's a bit of hesitation there, and all it takes is a split second, and your opponent scores. And they've had fewer clean sheets. A lot of games have have been won by a single goal margin, and that has meant that even though um, Sarri has this great win ratio which he keeps telling us is the best of a debut Juventus coach in like more than 50 years their inability to kill games or get in front and then basically you know the game's locked down Juventus aren't going to give up a goal well this year you don't feel that way and I think that's that's been one of the you know recurring anxieties of this season I love that he's doing his own PR there. That that feels a bit Jose Mourinho. Um, Michael, let, let's talk about the midfield of this Juventus side. Uh, it's an, a really interesting area, I think, just in terms of the names at Sarri's disposal. Pjanic, we've mentioned Betancur's there, Matuidi, Rabio, Ramsey, even Sami Kadira in the squad as well. My mind is cast back to that Napoli side, which has become such a reference point for Sarri. Uh, Alan and Jorginho, of course, Zielinski and Hamsik as well uh, in that midfield area at different times. Uh, what is Sarri's preferred midfield combo this season with Juve? Well, as James touched on earlier, I think really Pjanic has, has been the key player. He's been filled in that deepest position, the Jorginho role. Um, I say it hasn't been a complete success. Um, he hasn't been great since the restart. I mean, Sarri clearly wants that type of player to to set the tempo and I'm a big fan of Pjanic I think for almost a decade now he's been a really really top level player I'm not entirely convinced by him in big games against high pressing sides maybe we'll see that more if Juventus press in the in the Champions League but you know he uh, looks like he's not going to be at Juventus next season so this is going to be a kind of one-off year for him elsewhere Matuidi I've always been a big fan of he works well in the left centre role assuming that Sarri's playing three in midfield. I mean, he's he's actually deputised at left-back for a recent game, which isn't his natural role, but he's got the energy and the technical quality to play there and did quite well. Um, there's lots of other options elsewhere in midfield. Bentancur often playing the right centre role. Um, he's also been back up, really, for Pjanic in, in the deeper role. Aaron Ramsey has 
I would say not 100% found his best role. He was sometimes used as the number 10. I feel um, like we've been saying that for five or six years, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the frustrating thing, I think, from Ramsey's perspective, because I think, you know, his game has always been suited to being like a number eight in a 4-3-3. Couldn't really play that way at Arsenal because of other players. I mean, Ozil in particular was, you know, necessitated using a 4-2-3-1 and playing as a number 10. But... Sarri doesn't seem to completely fancy Ramsey as as a number eight in the four three three, and I think that's a real disappointment, really, because that's the role he should be suited to. Um, so he hasn't really been starting all that much, particularly since the turn of the year. He's done okay. Rabio, I'd say, is is maybe the opposite in the sense that he really didn't settle to start with. There's been flashes of form this year. Again, there's a question mark about his best role. I'd say he's maybe better suited to the deepest role, but maybe. Sarri considers him kind of like how he used Alain, as you mentioned at Napoli, being almost the second deep playmaker. So it's, I, again, I would say it hasn't completely worked. I haven't really seen too much progression from the way Juventus have played in midfield in previous years, um, despite the addition of two newcomers in Ramsey and Rabio. So yeah, I, I'd give it a pass, but I wouldn't say there's uh, there's been too many overwhelming positives in that zone. Now, uh, a real head scratcher James which I need you to talk me through I'm afraid uh, and I know it, it might be a little complicated but the Pjanic Arthur swap deal if we can call it that with Barcelona I mean you guys have both just run me through how important Pjanic is to Sarri's Juventus in the Jorginho role uh, and yet he's off to Barcelona this summer uh, and in his place Arthur comes the other way what is that deal all about? Well, I'd love to say it's as easy as Maurizio Sarri identifying Artur as being the key to um, Juventus' midfield and, and making it click um, in a way that it hasn't really up until now. Um, but I think it's more complicated than that. I think both these teams um, yeah, go into uh, the financial year, which ends June 30th, uh, with certain demands, economic needs that they, they have to fill. And, you know, in Pjanic's case, you know, his contract um, had been amortised to such an extent that they were able to sell him for, for big money. It would be almost all profit. Um, and likewise with Barcelona, um, if they were able to sell Artur, who's what, in his early 20s, he's been there a couple of years, there's a premium from being a Barcelona player and being a, a component of a, a championship winning side, which they were last year. Um, that they could make a, a profit on what they spent uh, to acquire him from Gremio, and uh, and so yeah, by the end of, uh, of by June thirtieth, both of these players had been uh, traded for more or less the same value, which allows the clubs to kind of book that as profit um, in their accounts, and then they're able to spread the transfer fee over the next few years, so it's not included in uh, last year's accounts, which ended in June thirtieth. So. Yeah, you know, some people have said that it's primarily a financial operation, and secondarily, it's uh, it's a uh, it's about the player and about the the fit for the team. Um, but I think Juventus have been uh, Juventus and Barcelona have been looking at these deals as a, a, a as a as a marriage of the two, I suppose, in in order to uh, upgrade or upskill the team, um, whilst also uh, doing what you need to do in order to. Uh, to relieve some strain on on, on your accounts, but uh, it's, it's, I, I'm disappointed that uh, Pjanic, who again um, Sari said, and this was quite a pointed quote at the the beginning of his time at Juventus, that um, if 
if this team uh, didn't make Pjanic central to it, if Pjanic didn't thrive in it, then it would be a it would be a personal failure from from Sarri's point of view. And I think, in some respects, it's it's still a little too early to to, to judge how uh, how Pjanic has done under him. He had a very good autumn where it looked like it was really clicking, and they were beginning to pass the ball as quickly as he wanted. Um, and then, really, since the spring, Pjanic has been has been pretty poor, um, to be honest. And I would say that that Juventus's best midfield has been Matuidi, who has to play because he covers for Cristiano Ronaldo, who doesn't track back or press. And that's that that's <laughs> that's the reason why Matuidi is in the team. Uh, which again is going to be, you know, in terms of getting the team to play Sarri ball, if I if I use that term that I hate so much. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you're 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 not playing a technical midfield player on on that side, and it was a, it was a really kind of interesting thing. If you went to Juventus games at the start of the season in the warm up, Matuidi would be doing one on one passing drills with a member of the coaching staff because they recognise that he is uncomfortable passing it quickly. He's not got the best touch, the best control, and then Bentancur in front of the defence because he's dynamic. Uh, much more dynamic than Pjanic, and they feel that he can play that role in the future. And then Ramsey, really, is as as someone who can actually break into the box. They've got so few goals from midfield this season. Yeah, partly because Kadir has been out, and Kadir, you can't rely on him to be fit anyway. And that was where I think they wanted Pjanic to really kind of uh, sorry wanted uh, Ramsey to really fill the gap. Um, but you know, you compare Juventus' midfield today with the one that was there throughout the Conte era and the uh, the beginning of the Allegri era, which was Andrea Pirlo, Paul Pogba, Arturo Vidal and Claudio Marchisio. This midfield um, uh, is obviously lacking um, compared to that one. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we've the focus now is more on, the focus became more about how great Juventus were as a defensive side rather than what they were doing from midfield, the goals that they got from midfield, the creativity in midfield, and more about what Cristiano and Dybala can do on an individual basis to win games. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Let's move a little bit higher up the pitch to a player that's always fascinated me in Paolo Dybala. Always felt like he could become a real superstar and he's 26 now. So should be in his prime years. James, what level has Dybala reached in your opinion and, and what's his role in this team? So we mentioned uh, you know, part of the thinking behind the uh, Pjanic and Artur deal. Remember this time last year, you know, Juventus were prepared to sell Paolo Dybala to Spurs or Manchester United um, in order to bring in some money. Um, and he dug his heels and he didn't want to go. He, lo- he loves being Juventus' number 10. He's got a very close relationship with Alessandro Del Piero. Um, and uh, he has been, um, having not started for the first five or six games of the season, where Sarri went with Ronaldo and Gonzalo Higuain, 
Dybala has been outstanding. Um, he's been, in my opinion, yes, Ronaldo's got more goals, but as I said, I think 10 or 11 them from the penalty spot. 11, yeah. Dybala, Dybala has been their, their best player and he seems to have gone to another level, particularly since the restart, which is kind of incredible given he was one of the Juventus players who had COVID-19 and seemed to have a, take a long time to kind of shrug it off and, and, and test negative for it. He he looks at his best under Sarri. And Sarri's basically said how he's got the best out of Dybala is, is this. Dybala was coming short too often. He, he would come and try and link the play. He would try and involve himself in the midfield, partly because the midfield was suffering and couldn't really, couldn't really string much of a pass together. Um, and now he's been told to basically stay high, stay high up the pitch, stay around the penalty area. And he's fresher and you see his dribbling ability. The number of goals he scored slaloming past players is just unbelievable. His technique is unreal. Um, so for me, Dybala's been Juventus' best player with, with Bentancur this season. And Michael, we reached Cristiano Ronaldo. What's the story of his season this year and in comparison to last season? Well, I think he's been better this year. I mean, he's scored more goals. Granted, some of them have been penalties. Quite a lot of them have been penalties, as you mentioned, Ali. Um, I mean, he's broadly speaking been a, a goal poacher, I would say, um, either coming inside from the left or playing as part of a strike duo. I don't think there's too much nuance to his game outside the penalty box. We saw that brilliant header he scored against was Sam Doria, James. Yeah, the towering header. Yeah, which I think is more is more classic. Ronaldo these days, although he has scored a couple of goals on the run. So there's a kind of shades of the old Ronaldo. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that Sarri has taken him forward or improved his game that much, but maybe the age Ronaldo is, that's um, expecting a bit too much. But it's worth remembering, you know, there was that game against Milan in November when Ronaldo was taken off by Sarri and kind of stormed down the tunnel. Dybala came in, scored the winner in a 1-0 victory. And there was, you know, real speculation about the relationship between Ronaldo and Sarri, about the power struggle between them. And that hasn't seemed uh, an issue in, uh, in recent months. I mean, Ronaldo went... 11 games in a row where he, he got on the score sheet matching the, the long-standing record of Batistuta and the not-so-long-standing record of Qualiarella. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's still scoring goals. He's got 29 and 29 this season. So we can't, we can't be too harsh on him. But I think this is, you know, to me, it still feels like a Ronaldo side as much as it feels like a Sarri side. They are really dominated by one goal-scoring machine. Just thrilled we've managed to get a Qualiarella reference in before the end of the pod. Uh, is it fair to say that uh, also up there with Ronaldo and Dybala in the squad is, is Gonzalo Higuain? James, is it harsh to say that his goal-scoring powers appear to have dwindled somewhat? He's, he's got six goals in about 1,600 minutes in the league. Is he petering out a little? Well, if you go back to the first day of the season in Parma, they what was interesting is that the team was almost exactly the same as the one that Allegri picked. Um, and everyone was expecting a different look um, to it. And instead, the midfield was Matuidi, Pjanic and, and Kadira, and Ronaldo and Higuain. Um, and I think Juventus tried to sell Higuain last season uh, to Milan. Then they tried to sell him to Chelsea. They tried to sell him again uh, uh, last summer and weren't able to find someone who was willing to take on his wages. Um, and I think he wanted to have another shot at playing under Sarri at Juventus. And it looked like it was going to work to begin with. Um, he was outstanding in their second game of the season against uh, against Napoli. Scores a brilliant goal where he turns Khalidou Koulibaly completely inside out. Um, 
And all the talk really through the autumn was, can Sarri play Ronaldo, Higuain and Dybala together? Do they have the balance in the team that allows them to do that? And Sarri would only really do it against teams like Brescia or Spal, you know, sort of teams that are fighting against relegation and you're going to have 90% of the ball and can just do that. Or in the final 15 minutes of games where it's a bit more stretched, teams are tired. But really that, that kind of the, the the thirst to see that has 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 gone, and I think Higuain has had quite a, a difficult time um, with with injury since the spring. Um, his his mother has uh, is 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 ill as well. She's got um, cancer, and um, he during lockdown flew back to go and see uh, her and spend time with her, her family. And I think it's clear that Higuain isn't the future at Juventus. He's on. He's he's entering the final year of his contract, and that's a huge burden on Juventus, um, given what he's paid. And I think you know it would work for for, for both parties that uh, they were to move on from him. I think there's been talk of him going back to Argentina to play for River Plate, kind of you know Carlos Tevez style, uh, when he just basically said, "I'm off to Boca." But um, yeah, I still think he's, there's a talented player in there. He just seems to he's a, he's a very sensitive soul, Higuain. I think unless he is always uh, got the confidence of the manager, um, uh, and he's always playing. And this is the other thing. I think Michael's absolutely spot on when when saying this is a Ronaldo team, because Higuain at Napoli when he scored 36 goals in a single league season, which is which broke the record. Napoli were a Higuain team. They did everything to play for Higuain. He was the the center of gravity for them, mm. and that's just not that's not the case anymore because <laughs> you've got happen. Cristiano. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, sometimes even when Dybala has been the best player on the pitch, they've had to take Dybala off because you can't take Cristiano off because Cristiano <laughs> wants to be Capocannoniere. He wants to win the Golden Boot. He wants to win another Ballon d'Or, and you're paying him 31 million euro a year. So it's that's one of the conundrums at Juventus. Mm. Last but not least, James, um, a very high chance of Juventus winning their ninth straight Serie A title. The Champions League is potentially a different matter. They're still in it. They have to play a second leg against Lyon. They're 1-0 down from the first leg all the way back in February. Uh, you've said publicly, so I'm not putting words in your mouth, that you don't <laughs> fancy their chances of Champions League success as much as uh, Napoli or perhaps Atalanta. What, why is that? Well, I think Atlanta are the best Italian team at the moment. They're the most in form. Uh, goals come easily uh, for, for Atalanta. I think Napoli have established themselves under Rino Gattuso as being a cup team. Um, you know, in the When they won the Coppa Italia, they beat the holders Lazio, they beat Inter and they beat Juventus. And they've raised their game in the big games, including in the first leg against Barcelona um, uh, in the round of 16. Uh, and Juventus, as I said, they... Uh, even their blowout wins against Genoa and against Torino, you look at the possession stats, you look at the passing stats, you think, wow, this is amazing. But you watch the game and really every goal is a is a moment of individual brilliance from an outstanding player like Dybala or, or Ronaldo or Douglas Costa rather than um, something that you can say, wow, look at Sarri's football. That's amazing. And I, I think that will hold them back in the Champions League. And I, to be honest... While I, I can see them overcoming Leon, who will have been inactive uh, for three months, um, if not longer, um, they then would have to play the Manchester City or Real Madrid, and uh, I think it's it's difficult to expect uh, a Juventus side, which for me remains a work in progress, to overcome 
one of those teams. Um, never say never, but yeah, I think in part because the draw on what side of the draw they're on, I think it, it looks it looks challenging for them to to win the Champions League. Okay, so still, well, just over a month until we know just how successful Sarri's Juventus have been in terms of trophies, in terms of the style of play. Again, the jury still out and Sarri with work to do with Pjanic moving to Barcelona and it'll be fascinating to maybe check in early next season and see how much this side evolves and develops uh, to begin next season. So that's been the Zona Marking Podcast doing Juventus. Thank you to Michael and to James Horncastle for talking me through it. As mentioned at the top of the show, James has written a brilliant piece uh, this week on a really interesting Serie A manager that potentially you guys might know less about than your Saris and your Contes of the world. Roberto De Zerbi, the Sassuolo manager, big profile on the athletic site by James, really worth a read. If you're not a subscriber, but you want to check that out, well, you can get a 30-day free trial if you head to theathletic.co.uk slash zonal marking. So uh, definitely sign up today and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and the variety of other uh, podcasts brought to you by The Athletic, all available ad-free on The Athletic site for subscribers and free on all podcast platforms. Join us again next week as we tackle a fresh topic on the Zonal Marking Podcast brought to you by The Athletic.